Luke, chapter 11, beginning at verse 5. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Uh, Please do keep that open and uh, let's uh, put it into practice straight away. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask now that you would give us your Holy Spirit as a church that we might know you, our God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Mike Reeves' excellent little book, uh, Enjoy Your Prayer Life, was mentioned last week. Doesn't that sound good, enjoying your prayer life? Is that a sort of, yeah, a, sounds good, doesn't it, is it if it's possible? Uh, and Mike explains in the book that it is possible that prayer is enjoying what Jesus has always enjoyed, relating to God as Father in heaven, adopted into God's family as brothers and sisters of Jesus, so that we get to call God Abba, Dad. A lady called uh, Bilquis Shake, I think is how you say her name, something like that, she probably says it properly. Um, she became a Christian having previously been a Muslim. She wrote about it and called a book that she wrote, I Dare to Call Him Father. Before she was converted, she was amazed to hear a nun pray. She said, you seem to make God so, I don't know, um, personal. The nun said something that shot through my being like electricity. She leaned closer, took my hand in hers, tears streaming down her cheeks. Talk to him, she said very quietly, as if he were your father. Talk to God as if he were my father? The thought shook my soul in the peculiar way truth has of being at once startling and comforting. So she carries on the book. She uh, writes about the way she, 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 she finds she can't. She, she feels she can't talk to God as Father. Until she remembers coming into her own father's study as a child. And she remembers that however busy he was, if he had a problem, he would put the problem aside and listen to her. 
and she thought to herself, well, if my father was that like, like, maybe God's a bit like that. Shaking with excitement, she writes, I got out of bed, sank to my knees on the rug, looked up to heaven, and in rich new understanding called out to God, my father, oh father, my father, father God. And then as if something broke through for me, I found myself trusting that he was indeed hearing me, just as my earthly father had always done. And then she prays again, I'm confused, Father. I have to get one thing straight right away. I reached over to the bedside table where I kept the Bible and the Koran side by side. I picked up both books and lifted them, one in each hand. Which, Father? I said, which one is your book? I heard a voice inside my being saying, in which book do you meet me as your father? I found myself answering in the Bible. And she tells the rest of her story. It's, um, it's a really gripping read. Um, enjoy your prayer life. That's what that lady discovered. As she discovered what Jesus teaches in the bit before we, went, that we read, the bit that we looked at last week, those of us who were here, I wasn't, but others were, that we are taught by Jesus when we speak to God to speak to our Father. That's his answer straight away when one of the disciples say, teach us to pray. So I don't know whether you've heard the uh, prayer of the man on the life raft floating out to sea. And he prays, Lord, rescue me. And if you do, I'll never bother you again. Now that's the prayer of someone who doesn't yet know God as Father who doesn't yet know that prayer is supposed to be part of a conversation that goes through our life. It's not the case of bothering God and never hearing from him again. Jesus says through him, through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, through being forgiven, he brings us back to God as his children to know him as Father forever. And that's the privilege of prayer, is to put that into practice now, to discover now that God wants to hear from us. We pray about all sorts of things, about the things mentioned in verses 2 to 4, whether it's big things like the kingdom coming, or everyday things like our daily bread. But what's prayer going to be like? What's it going to be like talking to God? What's God going to be like when we do pray to him? What sort of response can we expect? And that's this week. That's these things that Jesus is teaching us from verses 5 through to 13. And these two kind of stories that he tells to uh, teach us a bit more about prayer and to encourage us to pray. pray. The first one's in verses 5 to 8. And I think it teaches us something like God doesn't mind being bothered. A bit like that lady was saying about her father in the study, so that she, she would go to him, and he didn't mind her going to him. She, he didn't mind her. He put down what he was doing. And, and, and that's what it is with God. It's the opposite of what the man on the life, the life graph prayed. I will never bother you again. Well, actually, God wants us to bring our needs, our desires, our hopes, our dreams to him. And so Jesus tells this story. It's about two friends. Um, I don't know what you made of the story. I mean, I don't like being uh, got up in the middle of the night. I, I don't suppose any of us do, really, do we? Uh, if, someone, if, you, if a friend of yours uh, was... Uh, just got back from a journey and didn't have any food and rang your doorbell at uh, midnight, would you be saying, oh, I've been really looking forward to you coming back. Oh, yeah, sure, come and come have some bread. I wouldn't be quite so cheerful as that. And the person in Jesus' story 
even more so because in those days they would have maybe slept in the, the, the whole place that they had was basically one room and there was a platform where the family slept and on the ground floor would have been all the animals and so this man is, a, is asleep with his wife and his kids alongside him the, to get up and go to the door goodness me that means just disturbing everything and yet his friend persists, persists, persists and because of his shameless audacity is how this translation puts it wasn't, he stretched the friendship to the absolute limit of what he could have stretched it to. But he doesn't give up, and eventually the request is granted. Now, the way Jesus applies that, he tells the story, and then he applies it in verses 9 and 10, doesn't he? And he's saying, not that God is just like that friend, you know, you have to, really have to wring it out of him, you know, to keep on, keep on at God, oh, goodness me. And eventually, he might possibly, because of your shameless audacity in prayer, respond. He's saying, that's kind of, that's the extreme he's saying, but actually, what's God like? Verses 9 and 10, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. That's what God's like when we pray. He's not actually like the friend. He's the person who knows our needs and wants to give things to us as we ask and seek and knock. It's not too much bother for him to listen to our prayers, even for the smallest things. Uh, When President uh, Barack Obama took office in 2009, a while ago now, um, Malia and Sasha, his daughters, were uh, 10 and uh, uh, 7 years old. Uh, Sasha was the youngest child to live in the White House since JFK Jr. So there we go. I had to look that up, which is why I'm reading it. (laughs) The uh, President and First Lady Michelle Obama faced a balancing act of raising their two daughters whilst uh, living in the most extraordinary setting. And uh, Time magazine printed some photos of them in the early days. There's one of the four of them sitting on on the sofa in the the, uh, Oval Office with Sasha sitting on her dad's lap. Uh, And there's another one uh, with uh, Sasha behind the same sofa... And um, the camera's behind her, and her dad's sitting at the desk in the Oval Office. And Sasha's sort of creeping up on her dad, uh, ready to surprise him. And it's an incredible picture. At the time, he was one of the most powerful people on the planet. Someone who kings and queens and prime ministers and presidents would have to make an appointment to see. And it would be months ahead of time. But Sasha and Malia could just go straight in. They could sit down with him and talk to him about the things they've been doing, about what they were thinking, about what they were feeling, their hopes and dreams and fears, about what they need. And God is that kind of father, that kind of friend. He doesn't mind being bothered. Now, I put that across as a negative, he doesn't mind... Because I think, I, well, no, I think, I know, I regularly meet people who feel, oh, well, the thing I'm worried about, oh, it's, it's not big enough to bother God about. Yeah, I, I've got this problem in my life, but, you know, well, you know, God's got really important things to do, hasn't he? He's not going to be worried about little me. Whereas actually the opposite is true. Nothing's too big for God, but nothing's too small for God either. He really does love people. And he really does want to talk us to talk to him about everything, to bring everything to him. 
whether it is to pray for his kingdom or whether it's to pray for our daily bread and all our other needs. And, and, and that's, that's the experience of the Christian life. That's as we start to begin to enjoy our prayer life is, is actually as we begin to trust God about everything because we're discovering that he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know that in our lives, to discover that in our lives, to, to be those who do ask and seek and knock and then discover God providing things for us. I want just, to, just would you turn back, a, just to flick back a page to chapter 10 and um, verse, uh, verses 1 and 2, because you see there this principle acted out. You see there, Jesus is about to send out people uh, into the, um, 72 people out into the harvest fields. He, he, he talks about the, the world around us as like a harvest field. And he says, listen, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is about to actually send them out. He's about to provide the answer to this prayer, but he still wants them to pray the prayer before it happens. And that's something about the Christian life. That's just something about enjoying our prayer life, is saying, God already knows what's needed. Sure he does, but he wants to involve us. He wants us to join in and to pray for things, even though God already knows we need them, to pray for them and then to discover God's provision in answer to those prayers. And that, in that way, in our lives, uh, it's a real relationship and we discover more of God, we, we grow to rely on him, we grow to know him better in friendship and in trust. And when we do that, the second thing here, the second big thing here, when we ask and seek and knock, we find him to be a generous giver. You see, I think that's the second thing Jesus wants to clear up about God. Uh, we can, I think, imagine God to be a bit stingy, you know. I, I think particularly if, we, if there's something in our lives and we've prayed for something, we've prayed for something and we haven't had an answer. And we've prayed again and we've still no answer. And we prayed again, we prayed maybe for years for, some, for one thing, and there's no answer. And we can start to feel, well, God doesn't listen to me, God doesn't care, God's a bit stingy, he's not going to give stuff to me. Or else we can start to sort of try and bargain with God. You know, God, you know, if you answer this prayer, then I will become a vicar. Or that's not why I'm a vicar. Uh, become... Uh, a nun or a missionary or a whatever we think will be really, really, really challenging. If then. No, that's not prayer either. Prayer is coming to God who is a generous giver. And Jesus kind of tells quite a silly story in verses 11 to 13 to make the point memorable. Um, he pictures a son asking his dad for a snack. Please, dad, can I have some fish or an egg? And his dad replying, yes, of course you can, son. Close your eyes, hold out his hands, and into his hands he puts a poisonous snake or a scorpion. Now, I'm sure there are some afternoons uh, growing up when most young boys are badly behaved enough to that be a serious temptation for their fathers. Um, I want another drink, Dad. I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. All right, then, says Dad, and pours out a glass of weed killer. There you go, son, drink it all. Um, now, Jesus is saying, that's ridiculous. No father would do that. Do you know, see what he says there? He says, um, where is it? It's um, uh, down in verse 13. 
you then, though you are evil, he's saying, you know, I know what the human race is like, even though you're capable of terrible things, you wouldn't treat your children like that. You know how to give good gifts to your children. And it's how much more, that's what verse 13 is saying, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's such a wonderful promise. It also clears up the misunderstanding of verses 9 and 10. I don't know if you've ever tuned into prosperity preachers. I wouldn't recommend it. They misquote the Bible. And, um, and this would be a, a prime example. They'd say, well, listen, it says in the Bible, ask and seek and knock and you'll have it, so come on, do it our way and have enough faith and you'll have whatever you want for. If it's a red Ferrari, it'll be a red Ferrari. If it's never to be ill, it'll never to be ill. And you see, if you, take, if you lift this out of context then, well, it seems like those prosperity preachers are right, doesn't it? Jesus says it. It's there in black and white. But actually, if you put it back in its context, it's not what Jesus is promising. There's a much bigger agenda going on. Actually, if you think about his own ministry, um, he's approaching suffering and death. He knows that. He knows that his immediate future is not going to be a life free from suffering. It's rather, he knows that his future is to be with God forever and the path God has called him to to go on as he goes to the cross is one that he will know his God throughout every step of that that way. So I I hope you've worked that out in life, that the the big prize in your life, uh, the the thing that's really worth um, striving for and praying for is not a big house or a flash car, as nice as those things are. It's not even a great romantic relationship and a happy family life, as wonderful as those things are. The big prize in life is God. To know him, to enjoy him now through the Holy Spirit as we look forward to a future of being with him face to face forever. Turn about the page one more time, would you, to chapter 10. I just want to show you something else there in verse 21 of chapter 10. This is when the 72 come back from their mission. And Jesus, in verse 21 of chapter 10, is full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Luke describes that. The people Luke spoke to remember that moment. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because people had responded to the message and come back to know God as Father. Flip back a verse to verse 20. Their names are now written in heaven. That's what gives Jesus such joy, is for him to know the Father and for others to know the Father with him. So you see, we're free to ask Heavenly Father for anything. We are free to ask and seek and knock for anything. If it is for a red Ferrari, go for it. I mean, ask and seek and knock for it. The answer would probably be no. But, you know, you can if you want to. But as you get to know God better, you will discover that actually he's the prize to enjoy him now in this life through the Holy Spirit and then one day to know him forever. That's the thrill. That's the thing that brings, not a, not a fizziness. It's not, we're not talking about joy as fizziness. We're talking about joy as something deep within our soul, to know our true purpose, to know our God, 
to know him, to taste it now by the Spirit, and then to know him forever. So, friends, can we take this away and start to apply that? Can we be a church, and people in a church, individuals as we go into separate parts of the city in the, in the week, who are praying for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we would know him, so that we would serve him in our lives? I wonder, do you, do you ever take time to do that in the day? It's quite simple, actually, isn't it? You can pray on the run if you are on the run and you haven't had the time to stop. You can still pray as you kind of do sit down on the bus or... Uh, jump on the tube, Lord, oh, sorry, I didn't, didn't have time, but Lord, please would you fill me with your Holy Spirit today as I go into work or as I meet with this person. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be like Jesus. Lift me, lead me. Please would you do that with St. Helens, North Kensington as we head here on a Sunday or as we think about it in the week. Perhaps um, you're someone who used to pray but you've grown weary because you were praying something and didn't hear a response. Your prayer hasn't been answered. If that's you this morning, I hope it's an encouragement to read this again and realise God is a generous giver. He always wants to give you himself if you ask. And so it is an encouragement to get asking again, to get seeking again, to get knocking again, to keep trusting his generosity and to get to know him better and better through our lives. Or perhaps you feel, do you know what, I've never really been a prayer. It's very well talking about enjoying your prayer life. Gosh, I don't really have that much of a prayer life. Well, there's some very practical things to do. The Lord's Prayer, we've just used it together, but it's there in the beginning of the chapter, isn't it, doing the chapter 11? Jesus gives that as a pattern. We'll start to use it as a pattern. You probably know the words already. Well, why don't you use it every day as a pattern for prayer and launch off from one or two things in it to sort of pray, well, I pray for my daily bread, but I'm also really needing your help in a meeting I'm going to later. Yeah? So that's one very practical thing. Um, these books are apparently one, one pound at the back, so that's another practical thing. You can read some more encouragement. Uh, we pray with others when we gather for church, don't we? Praying with others can really help us in our prayer lives. It's, it's one of the things that really encouraged me to learn to pray different prayers, different phrases, different ways of praying. It's great to have different people lead us on a Sunday. Do come on Tuesday. Tuesday evening is a, a prayer meeting for the whole church, if you're free on Tuesday. Um, if you think, you know, I, I can't do a regular pattern, but I could meet with, say, a prayer partner... Well, if you've got an idea, then go and talk to that person. If you haven't got an idea, come and talk to me or Lenny, and we'll try and match up people so that you can have a prayer partner because you say, well, I can't do a regular time, but I could do this slot here and that slot there and maybe meet a couple of times a month. I find that so helpful. Prayer is talking to our Heavenly Father who loves us. He's a generous giver. He doesn't mind being bothered. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus teaches us, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen.